0: When you, when you read through the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those first four books of the New Testament, you can't help but notice that Jesus, he, he was a realist. He really was. He was brutally honest about the consequences of following him. And I think one of the things that the church doesn't do very well is talk about that. I know I haven't. I, I was kind of convicted this week as I was studying the Word studying this message. I don't think I have been as uh, honest as maybe uh, I should have been, or, or maybe that's not the right word. Not, that, that maybe it sounds like I haven't been honest, but I, I don't know if I've, I've communicated this unbelievable truth that Jesus is communicating right here in this particular passage. You see, In his closing statement of these beatitudes, which we've been studying over the last couple of months, and and I know it's been a good study in your life. One of the great things about living in this particular time, you see, 30 years ago, if you wanted to communicate with a pastor, you wrote a letter, you licked a stamp, you put it in the mail, a guy delivered it, you read it, If I wanted to respond, you know, you wrote another letter, you put it in a deal, you licked a stamp, and you know, the whole process took forever. Now, literally in real time, I get to hear from you. Some of you don't even, you know, you're not even, right now you're doing something. But I've just got some unbelievable emails from some of you and messages from some of you about how the Word of God Combined with the great teacher, the Holy Spirit within you. Got God speaking to you, and you're making some changes, and the Word of God and the Holy Spirit within you is transforming your life and your marriage and your parenting and just your own individual life and all those kinds of things. And it's been fantastic. But in this closing little beatitude, Jesus says this in verses 10, 11, and 12. I want you to notice that Jesus gives more space to this last beatitude than he does any of the other beatitudes. And it's the only beatitude um, that's personal. Verse 11 says, blessed are you when people insult you when people persecute you, when people say you know, all kinds of evil against you, it's the only one of the Beatitudes where where Jesus makes it personal. And what I wanna do here in in a real short amount of time is this, is I wanna give you two key thoughts here, okay, right out of the gate. And the first key thought is this, is that being harassed for your faith is to be expected. It's to be expected. Verse 11 says blessed are you when people insult you. Jesus doesn't say if you're persecuted or or if you're insulted, he said when you're persecuted. See here's the deal, if you live out the Beatitudes, buckle your seatbelt, there will be persecution when you recognize that you're poor in spirit, that you're bankrupt before God, and you cry out to him and he comes into your life, and you begin to mourn over your sin and grieve over your sin, you're broken over what your sin did to your life and the lives of those around you, and most importantly, what you know, your sin did to Jesus, he had to come and die on a cross, and you mourn over that, and you live humbly before the Lord, you live a meek life, and then you, are, uh, you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you hunger and thirst after the word of God and living right now that God made you right, when you begin to live out the Beatitudes, this is where it ends up. Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted when you're insulted. It's the natural place that you have to get if you're living out the Beatitudes that come be before it. You know, um, I was just kinda thinking about this. As the world gets, um, or America gets more and more secular, and it is. We're finding that there's just more and more persecution against Christians here in America. I mean, don't you experience it? Don't you sense that? Don't you feel it? There's just a hostility towards those that are true believers. 2,000 years ago, the world put Jesus on a cross and I want you to know something if Jesus was here right now walking around in America the world would have no problem putting him on a cross again no problem now what's the the reason for all of this hostility well verse 11 gives us the answer it says blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me Jesus says because of me, this is the second key thought. You're not the, the real target of the harassment, Christian. Jesus is. The reason people will attack you or harass you is because you're, you're living your life like Jesus. You're, you're living out the Beatitudes. And it's important that you understand that. Don't take it personal. It seems personal. When someone's persecuting you, when when someone's saying all kinds of crummy things about you, or they're posting all kinds of crummy things about you, or whatever it might be, it seems personal, but it's not. It's simply because of the one in whom you follow. And it's important that you understand that. Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter three, he said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When you make the choice to live your life according to the word of God, when you make that choice, Not only to to hear the word and read the word and study the word and memorize the word and meditate on the word, and those are all great things, but when you make the choice to actually live it out, be a doer of the word, once again, buckle your seat belts. Paul says you will be persecuted. He doesn't say you might be. He doesn't say, you know, there's a good chance you might, you know, you could be. He didn't say that. He says the exact same thing Jesus says you're gonna be persecuted. Look, here's the deal, if you're a follower of Jesus and a high school student, go to your campus and say, hey everybody, I want you to know I'm a Christian and I'm committed to being a virgin until I get married. See how that goes. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you're a, um, a Christian and you're a businessman or you own a business or you work at a business or whatever, and you say, you know what, I'm not gonna participate in, in that activity because it's unethical. I, I'm trying to please the Lord. Just see what's said about, around the water cooler about you. It's gonna happen. The world can't stand anybody who's different. There's an old saying that goes like this, you know, misery loves company. And when you choose to live differently than the world, When you choose to say, you know what? I'm gonna let the Beatitudes, and that's what we've been studying. It could be the whole word of God, but the Beatitudes. I've given my life to Christ. I'm broken, I'm humbled over sin. I'm living my life humbly before the Lord. I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness. You choose to live that way. Let me just tell you something. The world doesn't like it. The world doesn't like it one, one bit. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, you know what, Pastor, that, this is really great and all that, but I don't really need this mes- message. No, no, nobody ever really hassles me about living for, for Christ. And I want you to know that if that's true about you, that nobody hassles you about your faith, that tells you something about you, and it's not necessarily good. It tells you that you're no different than anybody else. It tells you that you're doing a really good job of fitting into the world. If you're not being hassled for your faith, you know what? You're nailing it. You look like everybody else in the office. You look like everybody else on the golf course. You're, you're, you're nailing it. You're just fitting right in. Doing pretty good. So how do you, how do you handle the, the harassment when it, when it comes? I want to give you some practical things, okay? Uh, number, number one, remember the source of the harassment. Just remember it. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now you remember, brothers and sisters, that the Holy Spirit fills Peter, and the Holy Spirit has Peter write exactly what God wants him to write. And so God wanted us all to know something real, real important here. that that we have an enemy. In fact, Peter here does something really interesting. He makes this super personal. He says, your enemy, Christian, your enemy. He doesn't say the church's enemy, though You know, it is the church's enemy. He doesn't say the missionary's enemy. It is the missionary's enemy. He doesn't say the pastor's enemy. It is my enemy, but but he, he makes it personal. You don't have to be a missionary or the pastor of a church or an elder of the church. If you know the Lord, you have an enemy. And he's really good at doing what he does. He's got his PhD in messing up people's lives. He has a a PhD in messing up families and messing up teenagers' lives and messing up marriages. And he's really good at it. He's been doing it for thousands of years. One of the things we all need to recognize is when you went to bed last night, you put your head on your pillow and you're off in la-la land, you know what? The, the, the devil and the demons didn't sleep. They didn't go to bed last night. That's right. They were up all night, if you will, just strategizing how they can mess up your personal life, how they can mess up your marriage, how they can mess up your children or your parents, how they can mess up your business if you're trying to run it in a God-honoring way. You may have made it through yesterday Whew, clean. Woo, I made it, I'm going to bed. Didn't blow it, I'm golden, and that's good. Today's a new day. Did you think about that when you woke up this morning? No. Probably not. See, we have an enemy. And the enemy isn't your wife, it's not your husband, it's not your parents, your teenager, it's not your boss or your employees, it's not your neighbor, your, your enemy isn't human. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your, your enemy is against the devil and the demonic. Ephesians chapter six says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Here's the point. You just have to remember the source. It's the enemy, your enemy. See, here's the deal. The enemy can't get to Jesus. So he does the next best thing. He gets to you, his followers. See, here's the deal. If I wanted to really hurt you, and I couldn't get to you, you know what I could do? I could hurt your children. Because if I hurt your kids, I'm hurting you, right? Well, the, the, the demons, they, they can't get to God. So what they do is they go after his kids. Now, the beautiful thing is, is that God has given us his Holy Spirit. We have the power of God within us. He gave us his word that we might, in junction with the power of God within us, uh, sort uh, what the enemy wants to do in our lives. In other words, God hasn't left us Defenseless. But it's the reason why we have an enemy. It's why you, you know you became his enemy. And just remember, he's the source of the harassment. N- number two, remember not to retaliate for the harassment. Romans chapter twelve says this. <laughs> this is really hard. The Bible says never pay back evil with more evil. And I I wrote some notes to myself saying that that would make a great you know whole long year series. (laughs) Never paying back evil with more evil. By the way, that's not a suggestion. God didn't say, hey, listen, followers of mine, you know, take it or leave it. You don't really wanna do that. I'm, I'm golden with that. He's telling us something. He says, do things in such a way that everybody can see that you're honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God for the scripture says, I will take revenge, God says. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Look, because the real enemy is the devil and the demonic, the the person attacking you is just a, a pawn in the grand scheme of things. They don't understand what they're, what they're doing. They don't understand that they're being used by the enemy. Remember, they're blinded to the truth. They don't even believe in God. They don't believe in the demons. They don't believe in any of that. They're blinded to truth. They don't know what they're doing. And so the father makes sure that we got this incredible book, and he says, look, here's here's how how I want you to respond. I don't want you to retaliate. You see, Jesus came and died on a cross for those people that are harassing you, that are persecuting you, that are insulting you. And by the way, I was one of them. I used to say all kinds of crummy things about God, about Christians, about the church, about Jesus, and all that kind of stuff. Last night, there was a whole group, there was a whole family sitting up there and they kind of made Big Belly Grace their home and they've come from another church about a, I don't know, about a year ago or so. And when I was, they knew me when I was a teenager, I knew their children, their their children went to Byer and I went to Davis and and they would invite me to their church. (laughs) And they knew I was a scoundrel. I I was a, a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Said a lot of really crummy things. And yet they kept inviting me because they understood I didn't get it. I was blinded to truth. And though I was this scoundrel, they never retaliated. Never did. Note number three. Remember to respond with love to the harassment, which is exactly what this family did. Romans 12 goes on and says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good, you see? <laughs> and as I read that this week, you know, there were a couple times where I just stopped and just said, man, God, I'm so sorry. I, I have allowed evil to conquer me at times somebody says something or posts something about me, and I get Yeah, yeah don't, don't, you, don't, don't you hate that? Instead of stopping and going, whoa, 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 just relax, just relax. It is well with my soul. They don't get it. They don't get it. And I just needed to stop and remember, you know what? They're just like I was years ago. It's impossible for them to understand truth, they can't. They're blinded to it. They're just a pawn on the enemy's, you know, chessboard. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter five. He says, you have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus says love your enemies. What? That's gotta be a mistake. That can't be right. You see, the the, the journey of faith is a difficult one. God calls us to some difficult things. Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven for he gives his sunlight both to evil and good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike if if you love only those who love you what reward is there for that even corrupt tax collectors do that much if you're only kind to your friends how are you any different from anybody else even pagans do that but you're to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect that's not easy is it and I can tell you, I, I can stand here and just say, I, 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 I fumble that one a bunch. And my flesh gets in the way, and when someone says something bad about me or whatever, and they send me a thing or a card or a letter, or uh, I'll tell you what I ought to do. I, I need to have our IT guy just take the send button right off of my computer. <laughs> <laughs> It's not the, where's, I can't, can't do it, I'm stuck. And then if you had to, in fact, remember the snail mill days, at least you could get it out of you. You know, after 10 seconds, I'm bored, you know. I, I forget it. it, ain't that big of a deal. Now it's like, gone, never get it back. And I've totally blown off what my master has told me to do. Another word for that is sin. I've sinned. I've not humbled myself before the Lord and said, oh God, you lead me. At that moment, I'm I'm not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Right there is hungering and thirst. There it is. Hunger and thirst after that right there. Loving your enemies and praying for them. Yeah, it's an easy gig to love those that love you. That's easy. Anyone can do that. I want you to love people the way I love them. And he says, hey, look, I, I, I let believers and unbelievers enjoy the wealth of the sun. Believers and unbelievers get rained on. Look, you love people. Remember, it's not them, it's not them. Remember when Jesus hung on the cross and he looks down at these people that I put them up there, oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know. They don't know. And so when the persecution comes, look, just respond with love. Here's the deal. You can't control the things that happen to you. You can't control the things that people say about you. You can't control the persecution. You can't control whether or not someone's gonna hassle you or not, but you can control one thing, and that is how you choose to respond. That you do have control over, and our dear Lord left us this unbelievable book, His Word, and given us a few thoughts to wrestle around with. And number four, Remember to rejoice over the privilege of being harassed. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted and insulted and people say all kinds of crummy evil things against you because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hey, they they persecuted Noah. They persecuted Jeremiah. They persecuted Isaiah. They persecuted all the great prophets before you, and now, guess what? The baton's been handed off to you. You're in good company. Rejoice. Rejoice in that. Now, Jesus isn't saying you should rejoice in the pain He's saying that you're to, when people put you down for your faith, not because you're obnoxious or being a jerk or whatever, but because you're being like Jesus, which means you'll be different. Jesus says, don't complain, but celebrate that moment. You see? It says this about the disciples in Acts chapter five. It says, the apostles left the high council, rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And in your Bibles or in your notes, you ought to underline those three words. Counted them worthy. I don't know about you, but I want God to look down on my one life and think to himself, here's the deal, that guy is worthy to suffer or be harassed for the cause of my son, Jesus Christ. I think you want that too. I think every Christian wants that. I heard this true story about a prominent pastor and his family, they, they were taken by the communists who dug this big hole in the ground and they put the pastor and his wife and his three kids in this hole. They brought the whole town uh, uh, around and they said, now pastor, renounce your faith or we're gonna bury your wife and kids alive. Got that picture in your mind? True story. By the way, this happened a long, long time ago. It's happening now in some places on our globe. But imagine that scene. There you are, there's your wife, and there are your kids, whole towns around. Hey pastor, renounce your faith and you can all get out of the hole and go live your lives. Well, the kids started crying. This is gonna get worse. And they're grabbing you know, their dad's legs, screaming, Daddy, don't let us die! Daddy! Get that picture in your mind now? Those of you that are parents? Imagine how crummy that would have been. All these guys are up there with shovels. They're gonna bury your kids alive. they bury your wife. And all you have to do is renounce your faith. He was getting ready to renounce his faith, faith, and his wife put her hand over his mouth and wouldn't let him speak, and she told the kids to be quiet. We get to die for the glory of God. I want you to know, this past week, I thought a lot about the story. And I thought, yeah, is that so bad? Is dying for the cause of Christ so bad? I mean, after all, we're all going to die, right? Wouldn't it be better to, to die for a, a cause that's worth dying for than to just to die for nothing at all? You see, you're all going to die, Christian. It's one of the ways God just takes us to heaven. I don't care whether you live to be 80, 90, 100. Maybe you die of old age. That's how God gets you to heaven. Maybe you die of cancer. That's how God gets you to heaven. We all have to get there, you see. So we're all going to die. Question is, how are you going to die? You're going to die for a cause? In Acts chapter 21, there's recorded a great moment in the life of Paul. Paul was told, you know, told all his friends that he was gonna go into Jerusalem, and it says this in verse 10. Several days later, a man by the name of Agabus, who who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own uh, feet and hands with it, okay? Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. So here's, this, here's the scene. The great apostle Paul shows up at this house or whatever it was, and he's got on his robe or whatever, and he's his tunic, and he's got a, a belt around it. And Agabus, who was a godly man, comes over and takes the, you know, the, the, the belt off, and Agabus ties up his own hands and his own feet, and he says, hey, listen, Basically what he was saying is, Paul, if you decide to go into Jerusalem, guess what? They're gonna, they're gonna you know, bind you up, throw you in prison. They're gonna put handcuffs on you and toss you, in, the, you know, in, in, in prison. In other words, he's saying, don't go, don't do it. His intentions were right. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go into Jerusalem. Don't go, Paul, don't go. But Paul said, why are are y'all weeping? You're breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. (laughs) Wow. Now, As I said, these people meant well, they had good intentions. They were simply trying to protect their friend Paul. But Paul's response to these people was absolutely right on. He basically says, big deal, I'm gonna be thrown into prison. I'm not only willing to be thrown into prison, but I'm willing to die if that be, you know, God's will for my life. let let me ask you a question, and this is gonna be a little uncomfortable for some of you, okay? What does it take to stop you from living out your your faith in front of people? What what does it take to stop you? Laughter? Somebody laughing at you? (laughs) You're a Christian? Really? A joke, somebody says a joke around the water cooler. <laughs> hey, so-and-so, you know he goes to Big Valley. He's like, he's got his Bible with him. Criticism, not being invited to all the right parties. Somebody in your office thinking you're a weirdo because you read your Bible during your you know, coffee break or lunch. One popular kid making fun of your participation in the youth group. What's it take? I spoke at a church on Stanton Island a number of years ago and I remember the pastor getting up and saying to his congregation, it had just started to snow. He said, I wanna thank you for braving the horrible weather to come to church this morning. And I thought to myself, and he's about ready to introduce me, and I thought to myself, that, that's just an idiotic statement. They braved the weather? That means they actually had to walk from inside their home, a toasty 75 degrees. They were gonna have to walk from in their home, open the garage door, and walk about four feet into their car, so they had to put on a heavy jacket to get into their car. Ooh, horrible. (laughs) Think that one through. Then they had to get in their car, and they had to wait for however long it took to get their car to a toasty 75 degrees. Those brave souls. And then they opened up the garage and you know pulled their car out. And as they were driving because of the, the snow, their windshield wipers were making all kinds. Man, this is horrible. Man. Yeah. You brave soul, you. <laughs> and they had to drive to the church, and then they had to get out of their car in their comfy warm jackets and put on, you know, open up an umbrella and walk 30 or 40 feet till they got inside the church, which was a toasty 75 degrees. That sacrifice <laughs> that's bravery no but let me tell you what it is unfortunately it's the American Christian how brave of you to battle the weather come to church Then I had to go up and speak. I was I was just so I was just so bummed. I'm not sure what I said when it was all said and done. I, I was never invited back though, so I got the feeling I said something I shouldn't have said. I, you know me, I tend to just I tend to shoot from the hip, you know. And whatever, whatever happens, happens, you know, man. I'm, you all love me. And, Let me give you a couple other reasons, just real quick that you can fill in these last blanks here. Why you ought to rejoice. Rejoice, other people see Jesus in your life. That's something to rejoice over. If you're being ha- hassled because of your faith, rejoice because that means people see Jesus in you. They, they, they see the Spirit of God transforming your life, and that's something to rejoice over. If you're not being hassled for your faith, one of the great questions that you might ask yourself is, what's wrong with me? How come, how come nobody hassles me about my faith? It, c- can people even see that I'm a follower of Christ? That's a, that's a good question to wrestle around with, I think. And number two, rejoice, because the harassment's not gonna last forever. It's not gonna last forever. You know, here's the deal. I don't know how many years you're gonna get. You know, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, 90, maybe 100 years, but here's the deal. Compared to the millions and millions and millions of years you're gonna spend in eternity, it doesn't matter. There's gonna come a moment when we're gonna leave this place and we're gonna go be with the Lord. Here's the deal. I, I, I remember this commercial years ago. It was on TV and it was by the Peace Corps. And, and, and this was the tagline. It doesn't matter how long you live if you're not doing anything with your life. (laughs) That's pretty good. Doesn't matter how long you live if you're not doing anything with your life. You see, I think we as Americans, we worry way too much about the duration of our life, right? How long we're gonna live, and I think God cares way more about the donation of our life. (laughs) We're worried about how long we're gonna live. And God's going, hey, listen, don't worry about that. You don't know how long you get. What, I'm, what I want you to worry about is the donation, what you're doing with the one life that you have. You see, that's what, is, what God cares about. And you may live to be 100 years old and, and make a great donation to the kingdom and all of that. Now, I wanna make sure you, you understand something. The goal of the Christian life is not persecution. That's not the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is that we're more and more transformed into the image of Jesus. The goal is not to be persecuted. The goal is to be transformed into the image of Jesus. But the more you're transformed into the image of Jesus, the greater the chances you're going to be persecuted. But I don't want you to walk away from this message thinking that the goal is I got to be persecuted. No, that's not the goal. The goal is is to live out the the Beatitudes, to to live out the scriptures, to be more and more transformed into the image of Jesus. And when you do that, Jesus and the other writers of the New Testament say you're gonna be persecuted for it. I heard this story and I'll, I'll end with this. It's a missionary who had spent 60 years faithfully serving the Lord in Africa. And while he was there, he lost his wife and his family to malaria. There finally came a day when he was scheduled to come home, but by this point in his life, he was a broken man, his health was broken, his spirit was broken, he was empty, he was lonely, he was dying, and on top of all that, he didn't really have a whole lot of friends here in America. He happened to come home on the same plane that Eisenhower came home on from World War II. And when the plane landed in New York, they opened the door, they rolled out the red carpet, and there was all kinds of bands playing music, and you know, confetti was being tossed, you know, everywhere, and signs were everywhere that said, welcome home, Ike, welcome home, welcome home, Ike. Everybody was thrilled that Ike was home. The missionary came off the plane and saw all these people welcoming Eisenhower, and he started getting a little discouraged. He sensed that the devil was talking to him. This is what you gave up. You lived for the Lord all your life and this is what you get. Nobody knows you're home. Nobody cares that you're home. You're lonely, you're dying, you're old. Nobody cares that you're home. And this old missionary said he started feeling sorry for himself and he sensed that God was tapping him on the shoulder and God told him, son, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. But one of the things that can happen is that we can get awfully comfortable here. And we say things like, you know, we have our homes. And we do, they're homes. There's nothing wrong with having a home here. But the reality is, Christian, this isn't our home. And we can get so comfortable being here that we forget that there's something greater going on. I... um, was thinking, look, you won't be in heaven five minutes before you say, man, why didn't I serve more? Why didn't I love more? Why didn't I witness more? Why didn't I make my one life count? Why didn't I give more? Why did I waste my life on things that just don't matter? See, are you using your one life to build your own kingdom or the kingdom of God? That's, a, that's just a great question to leave with. Everybody in the venue stand up. Everybody in here stand up. We're going to enjoy some donuts and all of that, but I want to pray before we go out and fellowship. And here's the deal. You make the choice to live your life to build God's kingdom. Persecution is going to come. If your life is being used to build your own kingdom or whatever. You know, I, I guess your, life, your name can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life and all of that. But um, what a waste, what a waste. Father, thank you, Lord, for these people. And one thing I know about the folks of Big Valley Grace is that a large percentage of them are living out their faith. They're living out these Beatitudes. They have a, a different perspective on life. But I do pray for that smaller percentage of Christ followers who, they're fitting into the world pretty good. I pray that you would use this message. May the Holy Spirit use this message to convict, transform, that we might be an army of people here at Big Valley Grace who love you to the degree that we're living out the scriptures. Give us a great time as we fellowship uh, out in the courtyard and I pray this in your name, amen.